Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays. Philippians chapter 2, starting at the first verse. If you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Well, a very good evening to you all. Let's pray together as we open up this wonderful, wonderful passage together. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so very much for the majesty and lordship and beauty of Jesus Christ. And I pray tonight, as we listen to you, that we would be in wonder of you, we would be humbled by your mercy for us, and in the depth of our hearts, we'd want to praise your name. Amen. Some of you will have watched, I say some of you, probably um, more in this direction, some of you will have watched the moving video to Lewis Capaldi's chart hit, Someone You Loved. Have you, seen the, have you watched the video to it? Has anyone watched the video? Am I the only one? In the, have, you've seen the video. It's really moving, isn't it? It's, it's, a, it's an amazing, let me tell you about it. Let me tell you about it. Uh, so Someone You Loved. It's filmed very locally, so even just, it's in Buxton. For that reason alone, it's worth watching uh, when you get home. So it's filmed locally, and it tells the extremely moving story extremely moving story of a widower, David Simon. He's played by Peter Capaldi, you know, the old Doctor Who, who reflects on the loss of his recently deceased wife. And we see him pick up a letter, so he's, he's reflecting, he's at the train station, and he's, he's listening to this song, and he's reflecting on the life of his, his wife who's recently died. And he comes through, he does the washing, and then he, he comes through the door, uh, and he picks up a letter which has just been posted through, and he picks it up, and he sits down, and he reads it, with a smile, and it's from a, a local family, and the young mum is a beneficiary of David's late wife's heart. And I, I challenge you not to cry as you watch him. He visits the family, uh, and he feels the scars of the of the young lady's heart surgery, and he listens to it beat, and he receives it. He receives it. The little girl comes in. And he receives a picture, and from her, and it says, "Thank you for making my mummy better." And it's a a beautiful picture of friendship and generosity. And it recognizes 
the beauty there can be in good relationships with one another, to walk alongside one another and to really care for them. Some of the the song goes, now I need somebody to know, somebody to heal, somebody to have, just to know how it feels. The song expresses it well. We need each other. God created us to love and adore him, not alone, but in magnificent relationship with each other, inseparable unity, intimate care, and joyful friendship. And as we come to this passage this evening, the Apostle Paul, he's writing to his beloved suffering church in the Macedonian city of Philippi, and we see deep and lasting friendship. And we hear about how we are really meant to live, how we're really meant to live together. He prays for them in joy, for he knows they are committed in faith and love to Christ and to one another. That's what they're about. But he doesn't want them to rest on past achievements. You see, the world is too perilous and the gospel too glorious. And as much as we can appreciate unity and selfless love and care for one another, well, we don't always want it, do we? So self-concern is always lurking close by. It's ingrained in us from a very young age, actually, When we do well, it will be at the expense of others. That's how we've learned it works. So university places, buying a house, job promotion, getting Champions League tickets if you're a Liverpool or Spurs fan. Very rarely is our gain not at someone else's loss. And Paul challenges the church here. Your mindset, your mindset must not be one of selfish ambition. No, all we do everything we do as Christians is for the glory of Christ, not for your own gain. We, we saw this last week, Philippians 1.27. Whatever happens, whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. And they are to do this as one. One, one in spirit. They are to stand firm. And in chapter 2, our passage tonight, we get this unity by having the right attitude, by thinking the right way, having the right attitude, the correct mindset. Verse 2, we have it there, we are to be like-minded. And that mindset is all about concern and care and love for others. You see here, self-interest is to be replaced by a sacrificial caring concern for the good of everyone else. You could call it true friendship. And the Apostle Paul says, you can have a look in verse 1, if you, are in, if, you are in this gospel, if you are this gospel people that I know you are, you are united in Christ. You have comfort in love and in fellowship with the Spirit. If you really are tender and compassionate to one, other, one another, well, you will be of the same mind. And that's when Paul can pop open the the champagne cork. His job is done. His joy complete when he sees this. When he sees this group of suffering and up against it believers look to to one another with delight that they're in it together. They are one in purpose. So you could pick 
out any of their homes at random to visit, and you would go in and you would see sacrificial love and care wherever you were. For, for one, it could be that you go in and see a member whistling while getting on with cutting an elderly neighbor's grass. One will be in tears alongside their friends, sharing their sorrow. There'll be a group in someone's lounge praying with one another. There'll be schoolmates having one another's backs as one takes flack for their faith. There'll be a few together at the pub sharing problems, admitting wrongs, witnessing to other friends together. Lots of different activities. But verse 2, the same love, one in spirit and purpose. This is literally what Paul lives for, to see them live in this way, that they'd love being Christians so much. He told us that in chapter 1, verse 25. I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. That's why he wants to keep living. This is the life following Jesus Christ leads us to live. So not judgment and ticking off and rule keeping and guilt, but joy and love looking out for one another. But what is real unity? What does it look like to be like-minded. We have lots of examples of what a certain degree of unity looks like. So, uh, I mean, I'm a big Liverpool supporter, but Anfield in song after defeating Barcelona, or the lifelong camaraderie of ex-soldiers, or the motorcycle nod. Do you know about the motorcycle nod? Let me tell you about the motorcycle nod. If any of you, um, uh, I ride a motorcycle, and there's uh, this, accept, it's an accepted community where you're, you're passing one another um, on the motorbike, and you're all in it together. It's an acknowledgement. It sort of goes like this. It's a bit of a... You have to be on a motorbike to do it. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. But it's, it's sort of a diagonal nod. And um, it's a simple and glorious acknowledgement that you are motorbike brothers and sisters at one, in the club together, adventurers alongside one another, wind in your faces, enjoying the world through the freedom of not having to wear a seatbelt. That's what it's about. However... All is not as it seems. You see, I used to ride a little 125 scooter around London. And when I first heard about this nod, I was very much looking forward to giving it a go. I thought I was in the gang when I had this 125 scooter. But I, uh, no one had given me the rule book about it. And I na naively thought everyone on two wheels was in the club. They aren't. Okay, let me make that clear. Uh, and it took me actually a couple of weeks and doing my impression, actually, I got on the scooter first time, and I started to do it. I started to do the nod as these motorcyclists uh, passed me, and I got no response. I was like a nodding dog on a scooter uh, for two weeks, trying to get someone to acknowledge my nod. And I since found out that scooters aren't in the club. And not only scooters aren't in the club, actually, Harley-Davidson riders won't acknowledge sports bike riders. Cruisers won't acknowledge kids with pink ribbons and a bell. They're all out. So what began, I thought, as two wheels together quickly divided. That's what people do, isn't it? We have a certain degree of unity, but then we keep wanting to divide up. Unity breaks very quickly as we too quickly find things to divide over. So two brothers growing up as close friends, perhaps, who find partners who don't get on, and they pull apart. Or warring families after the allocation of a will, or close friendship turning to resentment because one has failed to support the other through hardship. 
So how can Paul think the church can have what seems impossible for so many? Well, our answer is here in verses 3 and 4. What does it take for a group of different people with different ideas and different family situations and different hobbies and different skills and different likes and different dislikes to be one in spirit? Well, the answer, verse 3, humility. You see, the person united with Christ, well, they want Christ to be recognized as glorious. They want praise to be directed only to him, not themselves. That's humility. They want Christ's people to flourish together above any thought of self-admiration or self-proclamation. In humility, consider others better than yourselves. You see, this is what God's people are to be. So no nonsense about a dog-eat-dog world or survival of the fittest. No, we're friends. And before you could even start to articulate any false notion that God expects much more from us than he shows of himself, well, we come into these majestic Verses, Paul silences us with this majestic centerpiece in Philippians 5 to 11. Jesus Christ is the example par excellence. For we hear not from a God in an ivory tower, but one who models the ultimate picture of humility here. Verse 5, your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus. Another version puts it, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. I think that probably represents it better, this idea that you are God's people, saved by Christ. You are united with him, and he has given you this mind, so live it out as you were given it. And what a way to live. You see, from birth, we expect others to meet our needs, and our survival instinct quickly grows into an expression of fallen human nature as we seek to use others for our gain. So our family rules, our laws in wider society attempt to acknowledge this. They try to hold back, restrain human desire to dominate others. But it's a recognition that it is in us. But not so with Christ Jesus. Verse 6, we are told who Jesus is in his pre-incarnate state. Who is Jesus? He is God. His nature is God. He possesses all God's attributes. Is God all-knowing? Is God all-seeing? Well, then Jesus is. Is God all-powerful? No limit to what he can do? Well, then Jesus is. Is God creator, sustainer, redeemer? Well, then Jesus is. Is God eternity past? present and future? Well, then Jesus is. See, he's not just one of many interesting charismatic leaders throughout history. He is God. Yet he gave it up. Verse 7, he made himself nothing. Not that he stopped being God. Let's get that clear. He didn't stop being God but that he gave up his position 
in the throne room of heaven to, verse 7, become a servant. You see, God became human. And actually, I have no illustration that can really help us with this. So a president resigning and taking up his mop and bucket to clean toilets full-time, the queen possibly abdicating uh, to live in a homeless shelter, well, they don't come close. Because here we have the eternal son in perfect glory and splendor, the heavenly hosts adoring him. And he left it. He came down, and suddenly he has human needs. So he needed to have his nappy changed and be fed, and be vulnerable to catching nasty things humans catch, and getting tired, and needing to rest. And if it ended there, his obedience to becoming human, well, it would be staggering enough. But it keeps going. Verse 8, the depth of his humiliation wasn't just to become human. It was to be mocked, beaten, tortured, and killed in the worst of deaths. Crucifixion was soon after deemed too barbaric for any other human to endure, for any other human to endure. He started out not human, not in the weakness of humanity, but he became it, and then he suffered the most barbaric of human deaths. You see, this is God's example of to us of what humility looks like. And as we struggle to give others time, as we will, because we see our own as more important, or we don't value another enough to listen to them, we're too quick to speak, well, we do very well to remember the magnitude of who Christ is and what he has done for us. You see, the cost of our sin was for the perfect, eternal crisis to suffer the indignity of human weakness and frailty. So move from the delight and the joy of heaven to live in a painful and broken world. He was a member not of a kingship. He was a member of an oppressed and maligned people. It just kept getting lower, really, to be hated among those people so much that they chose a grotesque murderer to live ahead of him. C.T. Studd's words are pertinent. If Jesus Christ be God and die for me, then there's no sacrifice too great that I could make for him. This is humility. But as we read down, we can see it's not the end. It's not the final chapter of the story. So the Philippians weren't left to wonder about the fairness of it all, which perhaps you could at this point. There are plenty who seem to very much gain reward from climbing over others. So a lack of humility hasn't seemed to hurt some very much. Perhaps you've got people in your work you know well that have climbed over others to reach the top, and they have reached the top. Their arrogance, perhaps, contributing to their high positions and their social status. But if the Philippians thought that God intended to end their story under persecution, loving one another, yes, friends, yes, but still suffering while others laughed, 
well, they would have been badly misinformed. Jesus himself taught, those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And here we have Jesus' own life, as we see it in Philippians 2, as the greatest example of this principle. Verses 9 to 11, the Father exalts his wonderful, obedient Son to where he should be. Where should he be? Higher than anyone else. No one else can get close. His name greater than all others. And every single being who has ever lived. Well, they're about, I have no idea how many people that is. Actually, I asked, Amos, I asked um, what you call them? Ale- uh, her. Alexa. I asked Alexa last night um, how many people have ever lived or something like that. 106 billion, 456 million, 400,000. I have no idea. That's probably way out. It doesn't matter. All of those people that have ever lived, they will bow down before him as Lord. You see, the story of humanity has a very clear ending. And it ends with Jesus Christ sitting enthroned where he belongs. We've said it tonight, haven't we? God from God, light from light, true God from true God. The Son sitting at the right hand of the Father. And every single person who has ever lived, every single person in this building tonight, will bow down before him as Lord. And when faced with the Christ in his all-powerful, majestic, eternal splendor, will all will be compelled to say he is Lord. There'll be no disputation. It will be very clear for all to see. There can be no denying it when we're faced with him. And can I strongly encourage you that if, if you haven't yet got to that stage of confessing Jesus Christ as Lord, well, you could do so tonight. And I do encourage you, please do not hold off in considering seriously who this Jesus is, because one day you will bow down before him as Lord. And just as Paul makes it clear to his friends in Philippi, keep going. Well, God says to you tonight, if you're struggling, perhaps your faith feels weak tonight. Perhaps you at times have contemplated giving up. Well, look to the splendid Christ Jesus, for he is absolutely worth your adoration. And for the church, in light of who Jesus is and how he's modeled humility here, well, I'd like to close briefly with four questions for us to help check and steer the humble and united mindset God's people are to have. We're to have this mindset. We are given this through being united with Christ and we are to live it. And it's, it's very brief, really. I'd love to have more time to, to go into these further, but let me just finish with four questions of application. Number one, do we speak kindly of one another and hold our tongues when we are at risk of being unkind? I uh, went just for a family day out in Lime Park um, a few weeks ago, and I decided to do something you probably all love to do, but haven't because you're too polite. I sat eating my ice cream, and I listened very carefully to every conversation um, that was walking past me, every two set of two. 
Okay? I don't do this all the time, don't panic. But uh, I was, in this case, it was an experiment, let's put it that way. And as I, um, uh, as I sat for about 10 minutes and, and had people walk past me, I think it was with the exception of one, a couple of blokes that were having a lovely day out and were just admiring the grounds around them, with the exception of that couple of blokes, every single other person actually was speaking of a third party that wasn't with them. And they weren't speaking very kindly, some of them, to them. It's, it, we, we do it way more, I think, than we actually acknowledge doing it. Well, we are to not. God's people are not to speak unkindly of others. We are to hold our tongue. 20th century German pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, we com- combat our evil thoughts most effectively if we absolutely refuse to allow them to be expressed in words. Well, with the example of Christ Jesus in mind, consider others better than yourselves and speak only in love. Number two, do we listen long and patiently so we understand a person's need and needs? So just as love for God begins with listening to him, with listening to his word, well, love for others begins with listening to them. Makes sense, doesn't it? And actually, if we aren't interested in listening to others, well, it's not difficult, is it, to see the trajectory being one where a person is not interested in listening to God either. We're not just going to be bad listeners to people. We're going to be bad listeners full stop. Bonhoeffer again says, anyone who thinks that his time is too valuable to spend keeping quiet will eventually have no time for God or brother and sister, but only for himself and for his own follies. We are to listen very carefully before we speak. And it's only then that we have the opportunity to speak gospel hope as we know someone and speak into another's life. So with the example of Christ Jesus in mind, consider others better than yourselves and listen more and speak less. Number three, are we prepared to help others no matter how small or menial the task So God will be bringing people to us. He will and has been doing, I'm sure, been been bringing people to us to interrupt our carefully thought-out plans as a reminder to us that we are never actually in control as much as we'd like to be. We never are. And nor should we think of our time as more important than another's. Now, it's important to say here, this is a shared task, not to overload the few but where we share one another's burdens together. And with the example of Christ Jesus in mind, consider others better than yourselves and be helpful to them. And fourth and finally, will we bear with one another through every pain? We are to suffer and endure a brother or sister's burdens. And I see plenty of that here. And I encourage you to keep going, to feed them, to cry with them, to attend A&E with them, to lend them money, to steady them in grief, to embolden them when they fear. It's costly and it's sacrificial. But be deeply encouraged as you do it by the fruit of seeing Christ at work in you, his humility at work as you humbly serve. I hope that's an encouragement to you all. Let's pray together.
Let me just read from, there's a wonderful, wonderful prophecy in Isaiah 43, talking about the one true God. Turn to me and be saved, all you ends of the earth, for I am God, and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, my mouth has uttered in all integrity, a word that will not be revoked. Before me every knee will bow, by me every tongue will swear. They will say of me, in the Lord alone are deliverance and strength. And Father, we come to you tonight humbly before you and praise you for the Lord Jesus Christ. We thank you so very, very much that these words of prophecy of you being a God who all will bow down before, well, Philippians shows us it is indeed the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray for us, I pray for our hearts that they would be in deep and utter reverence and joy and delight and amazement by the Lord Jesus Christ. And I pray as we see him, as we acknowledge his humility, we would not look back in how far we go in serving one another, humbly and in deep, deep unity in one spirit. I pray that for Christ's church forward tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.